After leaving his home in Hawaii to journey through Asia in 1974, Haddon Miller arrived on the east end of Long Island with a collection of tribal-inspired artworks that won him an art scholarship from Southampton College. Graduating with honors, Patton launched his career in over 20 solo and numerous groups exhibitions in New York City and throughout the United States. Today his works are exhibited internationally in cities such as Florence and Shanghai. Patton's paintings are now among the most widely collected works between the east end of Long Island and New York City. Patton Miller, welcome to the Creative Process. Thank, thank you, Mia. It's nice to be here uh, with you, uh, <laughs> yes, in my own studio with you. <laughs> so I'm just looking at your paintings and to see them in scale. I know that you're inspired a lot by your travels. You just tell us about your, your journey to art and some of the symbolism, the motifs that find their way. Well, I started studying art when I was 18 years old at the Honolulu Academy of Arts in Hawaii. As a young artist, I didn't have much interior dialogue because mm -hmm. I was so young and nothing had happened to me. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I was uh, doing was drawing the world around me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then I, after, I graduated, after I graduated from the Honolulu Academy of Arts, I traveled to, I spent a year in Asia. Mm -hmm and I drew and painted the whole time. Mm -hmm. And that created a, a way of me making art, of tr like travelogue art, that I still do today. Mm -hmm. But when I work in my studio, I work more from, I, I pull things from my, experience, my experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that's a different, that's the yin and yang of what I do. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. When I, I have a farm in Costa Rica, mm -hmm. I've had it for 23 years, I've painted everybody. The grandmothers, the children, the horses, the dogs, the pigs, sometimes all together, everybody. Mm -hmm. and, and then when I come back to my studio or when I travel around, the, when I make trips mm -hmm. elsewhere, I, I paint. Yeah. We used to spend a lot of time in Indonesia and in Bali. I painted mm -hmm. a lot there. That all that imagery was just everywhere I looked, I saw amazing things. Mm -hmm. But then when I come back to my home here in Southampton and I work in the studio, I invent. Completely invent. So one is external and one half is internal. And that is the yin and yang of what I do. Yes, there's a lot of strong, like I see, I, mean, I don't know if it, there, any are directly drawn from fables, that there seems to be, a, if it's a personal mythology, or could you, you know, speak about some of those stories that we're looking at here? Right. Well, in Hawaii they have a word as uh, hamakua. Mm -hmm. And that is like your spirit animal. And mm -hmm. I'd like to think that it's a dolphin or... Uh, I would like to think it's a dolphin, but I think my hamaku is actually a mule. Yes, a donkey. Yeah, yes. I've, they've, been, they've been in my paintings my whole life. And mm -hmm. I can't tell you why. And then other aspects of, of my internal source of imagery is from what I've read. Mm -hmm. And it's often has to, do with, right. has to do with the ocean. I'm a surfer and a diver and a sailor. So I spent a lot of time on the ocean. And for instance, imagine sitting on your surfboard and all of a sudden, 20 feet from you, a large manta ray leaves the water, mm. flies out of the water like a flying saucer and flies 10 feet through the air and 400 pounds of manta ray. 
lands in the water. Yeah. These things, as an artist, are, are, are etched into my memory. And so it's, a, uh, and then of course it's the psychic landscape of just life, of, you know, like I went through a period where I, I had great loss. I, my, my parents, my brother, everybody in my family has passed away, so I had to deal with sadness. And that was the first time in my life that I had to deal with that because I was so young and then I wasn't so young. And I went through that period where I experienced loss. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, oh, painting is good for this too. So it's, the painting changes as you change. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so you've gone back to some of these paintings, maybe they also that you did in your youthful period, and, and what new meaning could you bring to them with your mature artist eyes? Well, it would, it would, you don't step in the same river twice. Mm -hmm. what, what I did when I was younger was almost exclusively external observations of the people and the places that I met and visited. And now I've, my work, I spend a lot of time in, in an internal landscape. And that's, that's very different. But there's some things that, some aspects of work doesn't change. I, the works that I did when I traveled through Asia in 1973 and 74, those drawings got me a scholarship at Southampton College. And I have one right over here. It's framed and sitting there. Oh, wow. And that's one of the drawings that got me the scholarship. Mm. And it's not so different from what I do now. No, compositionally, there's probably the same arrangement and the distribution of uh, em say empty spaces. But yeah. It's, it's a straight-ahead observational drawing of, of where I lived. And yeah. I was renting a small house in Rhodes. Right. And the people had just rented it to me, and I sat down and I drew them. And one is the old man in the chair, and the other one is his wife. And they, it was a great way for them to look at me and say, okay, this kid's got something. And when we bought the farm in Costa Rica 23 years ago, they, the people didn't, the neighborhood, the, the farming community didn't know who we were. But then I would come over with my board and my paper, and I would, I would uh, draw them. And they would see their grandmother appear on the page, mm -hmm. and they really respected my skill. Yeah. my drawing skills and it was a great way for us to introduce ourselves to these people who had no idea who we were we were the first North Americans to be in this area wow. and they had not really much contact with it but it's, it's Costa Rica and there's a lot of tourists there but this is in a fairly remote spot sure. and they had not really dealt closely mm. with anybody but Costa Ricans mm. and Back then, my Spanish wasn't very, very good, so I wasn't able to really communicate, but I, the drawings was enough. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that beautiful how art can cross cultural boundaries, it's boundaries like, of language? Yeah. It is. It, it was a wonderful way for us to get all, all to get to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then what were, I mean, so it's changed since you've, I mean, just on a tangent, how is the, you know, the farm that you bought, how has that changed since you? It hasn't changed much. Oh. It's amazing. Like I said, 23, 23 years have gone by, and it's like time does not affect this place. Wow. It's, like a, it's like a Marquez novel, 100 uh, Years of Solitude. Yeah. It just seems like it doesn't change. It's, yeah. it's weird. Other places have gotten developed, but this valley that we live in, that our farm is at, is 2,000 feet up. All right. Uh, four miles from the ocean, so you have to go up a country road, mm -hmm. and it, it, it has become actually, the one thing that has changed, fewer people live there now. 
oh. because the community that loses people because young people do not want to be they don't want to be farmers mm -hmm. they want to work in the cities mm -hmm. farming work is hard work there is a relationship between farming and the tactile nature of making paintings from earth pigments or I mean, mm -hmm. do you find that connection you that's how why you get on with the farmers in some ways well i i, I it's it's a manual it's something you do with your hands yeah uh, you know i never thought about it but that's a good that's a good connection i get along with these people because i respect them mm -hmm. and i admire them mm -hmm. and i think they respect and admire my myself and my family and in the, 20, in the 23 years, we've had nothing but good experiences. But <clears throat> your observation is a good one. Because when people work with their hands, like I said, mm -hmm. they would see me sit down with a blank piece of paper, and an hour and a half later, there'd be a finished drawing of, say, the, grand, the grandmother. Mm -hmm. they, would, they would be impressed. They would, yeah. they would look at me and go... Because a lot of times, when you travel to a place, people meet you, they greet you, but they don't know anything about you. Mm -hmm. But when they see me do this, they know a lot about me. They know what I do. Yeah. And <clears throat> in some society, circles of society, <coughs> excuse me, it's considered imp impolite to ask somebody what they do. You know, you know, you know this, right? Yeah, of course, because it's to do with money. It's not to do with life almost. But I think it's, I like to know what people do because it tells you something about them. Yeah. I don't care about money. I mean, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter to me how much money a person makes. It's absurd. Mm -hmm. But if someone tells me they're an engineer or a doctor, it tells me something about them. Sure. So for them... I'm not such a mystery anymore. I'm not, I'm not just this guy who shows up who bought this farm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was very eccentric to buy this place. Yeah. I used to have land in Portugal, mm -hmm. and I, I, after that, I, 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 I thought, well, I'll probably never buy foreign property again. Then I fell in love with this land, and I bought it. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was very inexpensive. And what do you make, may I ask? I, we just planted trees. We, okay. we just, it's like an arboretum. Okay. Uh, we, we, we don't grow anything. Yeah. I grow paintings. Yeah, I thought that's interesting. That's a, a nice image in itself, a tree with paintings, yeah. un un unfurling like flowers. <clears throat> well, over the years, not only have I made the paintings that I make there, uh -huh. but I make the paintings that I make here, you finish about them there. Oh. Yeah, because I, I, you know, I come yeah. back and I, I'll make, it, I'll make a, a, a work, I usually work 22 by 30 inches on 300 pound hot press arches watercolor paper, yeah. very heavy paper, right. and, I, and I work with gouache. Right. And, and you did, we're looking at a lot of canvases here. So these are mostly canvases, yeah. Yeah. So but, you were uh, over there, you do watercolor. Yeah. And I walk gouache, which is a watercolor. Mm -hmm. But I usually have a routine where I'll draw a pretty detailed drawing. Mm -hmm. And then I'll take the, the dirt there is bauxite. It's red. Okay. And it's like a henna. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I'll take it and I'll make a, a, a slurry of water mm -hmm. and, and this earth. And I put it on the paper and let it dry in the sun. Right. Then I take it to the river, wash it off. And then mm -hmm. the, I have the paper, the drawing, mm -hmm. and now I got this beautiful red color. Mm -hmm. And then it's, a, it's ochre red. Oh, okay. And then from the earth. It's mm -hmm. a red bauxite. It's all over the world. You see it everywhere. Yeah. And then when I paint, I have this beautiful, beautiful ground to work on. Oh, that's, yeah, and it's, it, that's, it's really an old technique, that. This, very, very it's old, It's the yeah. pre preparatory, well, often the preparatory sketches were done. Like yes, it's a glazed drawing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then, then the gouache is so beautiful to work on. And when I'm there, I, 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 I paint differently than I do here. Yeah. I, I, I use smaller brushes. It's, it's, here is sort of like, boom, you know? I mean, if you look around, these paintings are sort of exploding onto the canvas. Yeah. Down there, I have a tendency to work in a more meticulous way. All right. <coughs> and it's plein air work then. Yeah. yeah. 
And here sometimes there's a mix between, well, I see the planet outside, but it's... it's no, here it's, here it's here. Yeah. <clears throat> I was it's, just pointing to my head. Yeah. <laughs> 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 And then, oh yes, thank you for translating yeah. for the blind recorder. So it's interesting because I was just—I just came from the parish museum with the chief curator there, Alicia. Um, Alicia. Alicia. She's sorry. an old friend of mine. Yeah. And so we were talking about how, in the past, so many of the artists, as I'm thinking now, in contrast to the Hamptons and how historically painters were drawn here. I mean, I think the beautiful light to work in, but historically it was more plein air work, and <coughs> you know now more and more the. The artists are in the studios. It's not you can't say it isn't that the Hamptons is a place that is unchanged by time. No, nothing's nothing, nothing doesn't change except my valley in Costa Rica. <laughs> don't don't <laughs> say it. Maybe we should. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this place has changed, of course. Yeah. When I first came here, I mean, I, it was amazing. I met De Kooning, mm -hmm. sat in the studio a couple times. Yeah. Uh, it was funny, we were sitting in these rocking chairs and I was looking at his paintings, I was 27 years old and I was looking at the late work and I said to uh, Bill, I said, are these finished? And he looked at me and he looked at the paintings and he did that a couple times, looked at me, looked at the paintings, thought about it and he goes, I think so. <laughs> it was he's very, waiting for you to tell him. <laughs> it made me like him right away. Some. I thought it was, I thought it was, it, it was so charming because he wasn't sure. Yeah. I told that to his granddaughter and she told me that even though she never really knew him because she was so young when he was born, when she was born, but she said family tradition has it that he never really knew when he was yeah. finished. It, it was always a dilemma for him. Mm -hmm. He would work things to death, you know? Yeah. Um, and what about you in terms of finishing? You have a clear, I mean, it, it, is how planned is it, your painting? I work stream of consciousness, except yeah. for when, when I'm doing the plein air paintings. All right. And then I have the subject in front of me. Yeah. But when I'm working, I, I, I've been doing this, I'm 66 now. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this every day for many years. So I have a whole filing cabinet of different images. Mm -hmm. It could be the donkey. Mm -hmm. It could be the birds and the fish all feeding. It could be uh, my dogs. I paint dogs a lot. It could be a landscape that I invent. Or these two guys who are at dealing with the scales, the weight, the weight and scales. So I go, I have that, I have that dialogue. I, I just start and something will trigger a memory of something that sort of that I've done before, the history of what I have, mm -hmm. uh, of images in my mind. Mm -hmm. and, and so then I'll go down that road. As far as finishing a work goes, I, I can give you a very clear answer. I know, I know when it's finished, when it stops bothering me. Mm. I'll come in the studio every day, and if it bothers me, it's like, I work on it. Mm -hmm. If I come in the studio and it doesn't bother me, and you know, over a period of weeks or so, then I think it's pretty done. Have you ever, I mean, I imagine it's happened to lots of people, have you ever wished that you could go back on something that you went over? I've destroyed paintings, yeah. or overworked them. Yeah. But it's okay. I mean, that's part of the process. <clears throat> if you don't know how to work a painting as an artist, it's not, it, I mean, you have to know how. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the job. If, 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 if you don't know how to do that, then you'll never get to the next level. You know, mm -hmm. you, ha you have to propel the picture down the road. The part I don't like is the beginning. I get past the beginning as fast as I can. And I have ways to do that. I, 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 I have ways to mass affect my paintings by implements of, of destruction sort of, I, uh, of invention, construction, destruction, and then I look at it and I go, okay, now I can do this and do this, as opposed to like trying to walk on eggs. 
Are you familiar with that expression? Yes. Yeah, it, you know. No. What you want to do is you want to take your idea and make it happen and make it happen pretty fast. You don't want you don't want to you don't want to sit around and diddle, diddle you know, dill uh, just dilly with it. You want to really make it happen. And and I've really learned you know, I learned a lot about painting by cutting a hedge. Oh, when yes. I was in college, I was a caretaker of an estate. Mm -hmm. And the first time I tried to cut a hedge with a, parrot, with a hedge cutter, mm -hmm. I tried to finesse it as I went, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then I realized, this isn't working. I, it, looks, it looks terrible. So I, someone had told me that it's good to cut a hedge back really hard, because hedge is like, like a haircut. Yeah. So I cut it back really hard, stood 50 feet away from it, and saw that I had three or four bumps, mm -hmm. you know? There was a straight line, but there were three or four bumps. Mm -hmm. I cut those bumps off and the hedge was perfect. Mm -hmm. So I, I handled it in a way that was like, like in a big way, in yeah. a broad way. Sure. And then I was able to fine tune it. Yeah. And that helps me in paintings. Yeah, it's like in, you know, traditional painting, the cartoon, you know, that gets the right. broad strokes, yeah. Yep. And then to fill it in the, Small. I love the I love in Pisa they had these great frescoes mm -hmm. and it was bombed by our bombs in World War II yeah. and they the they were they took the, the opportunity to put the fresco on one building and the cartoon the the Sinopia mm -hmm. on the other half yes so you can see the preparatory drawings paintings mm -hmm. with the ochre yes and the finished frescoes the same yes. pictures I love that. This this mirroring. I, well, I'm very attracted to the thought process. I mean, it's not just a thought process, but it's 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 exciting to see something forming. And part of it, as you say, for a painter is, or in any kind of artist, is the process of doing it. Mm -hmm. When it is finished, almost you don't, as you say, it doesn't trouble you anymore. It's right. out of the mind, really. Yeah. <coughs> uh, so I love things that that show that that play, like like children play. If I may say that, mm -hmm. uh, the joy of it. Yeah. Well, I think once it's finished, it's, you move on. Yes. Yeah. People say to me, do you have a hard time selling paintings? It's like, no. This, mm -hmm. I was talking to a collector just the other day. Mm -hmm. The money is spent by them, earned by me. Uh -huh. Then the money is spent by me. Uh -huh. Right? Yeah. But the painting's still there. Mm -hmm. And the painting is, 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 paintings have a shelf life that is very long. Mm -hmm. I grew up with art that I could, I could reproduce right now for you, almost perfectly, it's in my mind. My parents are. So you came from a family of artists? I came from a family of scientists, but they had pictures from other people. Yeah, oh and, I see. And those pictures have been lost to time. Mm -hmm. My parents sold everything, became gypsies, mm -hmm. and moved around with just their bags. So you did come from a family of artists. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. eccentrics. Yeah. My father was an adventurer. He was a pilot in World War II. Yeah. He flew the Himalayas, wow. called the Hump. They used to right. fly, yeah, and then he was an airline pilot. But my mother would come, came. My mother's side of the family were all scientists. Mm -hmm. Anyways, yeah. Anyways, it was, a, it was the works that I grew up with are in my mind. So not only did we have them for all those years, but they reside here. Mm -hmm. I went back to the house after they sold the house mm -hmm. and knocked on the door two years after they sold the house mm -hmm. because my father had walked away from, sold the house and left the yard. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I was hoping to get one lithograph back. Mm -hmm. it, was an, it was a scene from Switzerland of a mountain valley. And it was very beautiful. And I, as a kid, I used to go into that picture and walk around mm -hmm. in that picture. Ah, yes, the dream of the, the other life. I, it was like a movie yeah. to me. And I went and knocked on the door, <clears throat> and 
and the woman opened the door, just the chain, just so, you know, like she was afraid of who I was. It was the, it was very, it was the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State, in the Pacific Northwest of the United States, very remote. So for someone to knock on her door, she didn't know who it was. She was, she was fearful. And I said, excuse me, but you bought this house from my father and there was a lithograph here that I'd be glad to pay you for, uh, but I'd like it back. And she said, I don't know what you're talking about. Goodbye, close the door. She didn't know, it was it already gone or? Who she knows, didn't, she, she didn't want to deal with it. So she closed the door and I was left staring at a door and I just walked away. Yeah, so did you recreate it then? No, it's funny. I've, I've, I've recreated it in many ways, uh -huh. in different pictures. You know, that's very interesting because as this, the subject of the Traveling Exhibition and Education Initiative is the creative process, and it's interesting how a sense of loss, you talk about losing family members, losing a house, losing a, a loved lithograph, can, can be inspiring. To, you, you reach for it. Well, you know, the, the, last, the last gift that you get from from someone, now I was just talking about a family member, yeah. is the sadness of their passing. Mm -hmm. And that is, in a weird way, to an artist, a gift. Because artwork comes from deep emotion. Mm -hmm. Or what is it? I didn't know that until I was 32 years old. I was a late bloomer. I was a very skilled draftsperson, and I had traveled the world, and mm -hmm. I had drawn many, many different vistas in the Himalayas and India and Iran and the Middle East. <clears throat> but I hadn't gone into those depths, mm -hmm. the emotional depths. And life, of course, sooner or later, life, I'm sure has happened to you. Mm -hmm. you, there, you experience familial loss and love loss. Mm -hmm. And I've been lucky with marriage. I've been with my wife for 31 years. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> we have two fine boys. But I, it, does, it didn't make me immune to loss, because right. my, my, both my parents and my brother have passed away, and friends, good friends. Yes. So, like I said before at the beginning of this interview, you find out that art is really good for whatever's inside comes out. <clears throat> and if you don't have a way out, that's not good. That's like never changing your clothes. You, you need to have the air go from the inside to the outside. Mm. Otherwise, it becomes dead air. Right. No, I, I, I like that you have a wonderful way with uh, metaphors. And I've now forgotten the question I want to ask. But it, it, yeah, it's beautiful. The sense of loss is a gift to an artist. And, and it can be t not just to artists. It, it, it can teach us things about pausing, reflecting, remembering, remembering history. That's another thing I see in your work. There's a strong sense of history and respect for cultures. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I <coughs> often joke <coughs> that being an American, <coughs> being an American born in, the, in 1953, my culture, when you think about the cultures of the world, how rich and beautiful they are, mm -hmm. my culture was, you, know, you might even know what this is, TV trade dinners, and Leave it to Beaver episodes. No, I know what that is. It's, it's translated the world over. <laughs> well, TV trade dinners are, have you ever seen one? I have seen one, yeah. But yeah. I, yeah, I think so. They had special, I've seen them. They're like a little tin. You and put, there's a tray you get, the special tables. Well, the, the, the house, homes would have TV trays. Yes. And you'd sit there, 
and the and the uh, meal would be something you put in the oven for just like half an hour. Yeah. And it would be like chicken legs, or it would be uh, beef stroganoff, and applesauce, mm-hmm. and it was some peas, sometimes lima beans, which I hated. Mm-hmm. And then you would watch TV. I loved as a kid TV tray dinners. Mm-hmm. I thought it was gourmet food. Uh-huh. It was. And Why, the, were your parents such bad cooks? No, <laughs> no, but they, they would sometimes be going to a party and they'd say, "Here, kids," and they, yeah. you know, uh, it was a convenience. Yeah, but this is kind of strange because it's a palette as well. Yeah. They're kind of arranged. Yeah, it was yeah. almost like uh, getting a meal on an airplane. Yeah. Yeah. I remember thinking back and I, th- I think, those chicken legs were awful small. They must have raised really small chickens. Oh. Because they would be tiny little chicken legs. I never want to think about the process. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, and Leave, it to Bed, Leave it to Beaver episodes was a TV show. Yes. And um, so what I'm, I'm joking, but it's not such a joke, is that the culture I grew up in wasn't, wasn't even a culture. I, not, not even a religious thing, mm-hmm. which I'm, thank, I, I'm glad I don't have the dogma. Mm-hmm. I, a lot of my friends grew up as Catholics, and boy, they just carry that around still. Yeah. The, 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 the dogma of the Catholic Church is pretty heavy on people who are grown adults. They still have that drilled into them. Yeah, and some <clears> of those um, nuns and Christian brothers could be pretty fierce. Right, too. Yeah. yeah. So I spent my whole life kind of going around and borrowing other people's cultures. You know those birds that fly into other birds' nests? Yeah, or magpie, yeah. Yeah, right. So I'm kind of like that. Like The first time I went to Mexico, really went to Mexico, uh-huh. My wife and I, our first, our second date was Mexico for five months. We drove there from New York, oh. and we drove, and we ended up in Michoacan, which is the western uh, state. And it's back then, it was really wild. Everywhere I looked, uh-huh. Mia. Everywhere I looked, I saw a painting. Uh-huh. Everywhere it was so interesting. Everything was so raw and beautiful. Uh-huh. So I was, you know, what was what was I going to draw and paint up here in the United States? Mm-hmm. Shopping centers. Well, some artists some have done. did, yeah. Some did. Yeah, they found wildness. <clears throat> but I come from a family of travelers, and, and so for me, it was not. It was. It was. It was. Uh, it was about the world. Hello, listeners. I hope you've been enjoying this interview as much as I have. My name is Willian King. I am a cinema studies Tisha alumni. I am a writer, an actress, and a filmmaker. I have always enjoyed the arts even though film was my first love and my greatest passion. I've always had a deep appreciation for fine artists, the sculptors and painters. I will often find myself lost in daydreams in museums, wondering what the stories were behind the art. How long did it take for the artists to complete this particular artwork? What drove them to use the strokes they did? Why did they choose that color pattern? Were they satisfied with their artwork? Or like me, is it hard to be pleased with their work? I was delighted by the conversation that was had about completion of one's work. Miller states that he knows a work is done once it no longer bothers him. That is something that occurs with my own work. Once I can no longer find a fault, that is when I know I have completed it to my best ability. When I was younger, there were some paintings I imagined living inside of. Much like Miller would walk around in his beloved lithograph. During the editing process of this interview, I loved hearing how Miller's life experiences had not only shaped his art, but how he approached his artwork. Isn't it fascinating how life, particularly love and loss, can translate beautifully across a canvas? 
When Miller mentioned one of the final gifts a loved one can give an artist is the sadness of their passing, I had to let all of those words wash over me. When I think of all the loved ones that have passed on, it was a gift. The sadness of their passing. What a beautiful, profound, and touching way to think of loss. In my own experience, it was the memories and love that I cherished. Think of the sadness of their passing being a gift has been a paradigm shift for me. As this interview continues, Miller will discuss one of his favorite times in his life, how cultures have bled into his artwork. Now back to the interview. I want to go back to something you were talking about and thinking about the travel. Traveling can open your senses, but maybe harden you too. I'm wondering, because you said at 32, you found that you needed that emotional depth and passion beyond the draftsmanship. Well, I didn't, yes, that's true. How did you find that? I, I didn't know, Uh I didn't know it was happening to me. Mm -hmm. It took, it took years for me to think back and go, well, so that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, That was the question, right? Yeah, it was a roundabout question. I'm sorry. I that was, you. No, it's good. That's a question. <clears throat> okay, I just thought you were onto something. Yeah, it, it, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, when you, as an artist, you don't know what's happening to you because you're in the middle of it. Yeah. You, you know later because mm-hmm. you have time to reflect. But I, the, the metamorphosis I was going through was new territory mm-hmm. for me. It was, it was pushing me into a deep place that I didn't know. Existed. I've always been such a happy-go-lucky guy. Mm-hmm. I've been blessed with a disposition that's like that. Yes. But this gave me an element that I didn't have before, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think I think I worked on it for years because it was, uh, you know, it kind of happened all at once. Have you ever noticed that a lot, of, a lot? Of, sometimes you can go for years, and then all of a sudden, three or four things happen that of loss. It, oh, it can yes. happen all at once. Mm-hmm. You know. <clears throat> In a period of four years, I lost my my mother, my my father, and my and my a very close friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And just a few years later, I lost my my brother. But that wasn't when you were thirty-two. That yeah, was, yeah, that was the point. Yeah, okay. it all happened at once. Oh, yeah. it was like that would. What was it was like? One friend of mine said, who knew what was going on, said, "Are you okay?" Mm-hmm. And I said, "Yeah, bring out your dead." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'd become inured to it. It was almost like, so this is the way it's going to be. So it's interesting to just shift a little because the cultures that you, the countries that you live in, part of the, or have lived in, they are, as I understand them, um, not so afraid to face death, the symbolism of it. I feel in America in some ways we're afraid to face death. I don't know. It, the ritual of it is maybe... Well, we would see that when they, they wouldn't like to, of course, it's, it's horrible, photograph soldiers who had died. You know, they would, they would kind of censor that. And, and so, I mean, I... You got a point. I, yeah. I follow you. And so, and I see, it's not a d- depressing sense of death, but there is also, maybe loss is the word, or a longing, or a... There's a darkness. There's a darkness and light to your paintings. So what, at living in these different cultures who... You know, they're a different approach, they're different rituals to, to mourning. What, what have you observed about that and how do they appear in your paintings? Well, I, I just have to be more specific and I have to say like, in, for instance, in, in, we spent three years in Bali, three summers in a row. We would, we would leave in June and come back in September. And 
when they're Buddhist and they cremate, mm -hmm. and every day you see people putting ashes into the water. Mm -hmm. And then there were some times that one time that we a prince died and we saw the whole ceremony. And, and we ended up inside the house, the private family house, and was, were treated beautifully. Mm -hmm. they, were, they gave us food and, they, and we were guests. Mm -hmm. it's, it's life on the street. It's life outside. Yeah. As opposed to life behind closed doors. Yeah, it's very interesting, and, and you know, I can see how you see many paintings there because you can observe, and this is the figurative, or it's a gift for any figurative painter because it's like you don't have to be voyeuristic. Oh yeah. no! It's it's one time when I left the driveway. We we were li living in Changu, and we surf. So every day I'd go and check the surf, and I, the house was about an eighth of a mile, very close to the beach. But I got on a bicycle for the quick five-minute ride down. Mm -hmm. And I leave my gang, called a gang, it's like a little access to the house, and there's a pig on fire. A big pig. And then 50 feet more, there's another pig on fire. A living pig? No, no, a dead pig, oh. but on fire. Okay. And then there's another pig on fire. All the way to the beach were pigs on fire. <laughs> this is surreal. Yeah, it is surreal. Well, That's I didn't... the third pig and turn left. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know, I figured out it was part of a preparation for a ceremony. And sure enough, the way they get the hair off the pig is by burning it. Okay. But it was funny because I remember the, nobody standing by the pigs. Like all the pigs were on fire seemingly on their own. Yeah. And then like they had set the pigs on fire and went, and went to feed the chickens or something. Uh -huh. um, and I love stuff like that. Yeah. It's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think I, I, I'm just thinking now about going back to farming and the way, I mean, of course, traditionally, and there's still, of course, farms here, but, you know, with property values, <laughs> I guess right. they're diminishing. Um, and the way we present animals as food, uh, not wanting to be reminded that they are animals, sentient beings. Right. And yeah. in other cultures, yes, even in France too, we will see the, the parts, yes? Yeah. yeah, Yeah. well, sometimes it's horrible. Yeah. Uh, I was a vegetarian for eight years because I read mm -hmm. one book, yes. Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, all about the Chicago oh. slaughterhouses. Right, yeah. And um, uh, I stopped becoming, I stopped being a, a, a vegetarian when we moved back to Hawaii and lived on Molokai, I was teaching at the, at the Kalapapa leprosy colony. We had no money and I was spearfishing, not for sport, but to get food for my family. Oh. And it was a beautiful time of our lives. Mm -hmm. We were so poor. I mean, <laughs> we, we weren't poor because we were just, poor is a state of mind. Yeah. We were without money, but we were having so much fun. And we always, we could, we, it's different. If we had to, we could have borrowed money from our parents or, uh, yeah. you know. Anyways, but it was like a time when we had to really struggle. Mm -hmm. And it was, I think, my wife and I think back to it, it was a wonderful time. It was mm -hmm. when our first son was born. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, like I said, I'd go, I'd go spearfishing, mm -hmm. uh, not for sport, but for food. Yeah. And uh, I'd be part of the food chain. That sure. I, I, I paint the food chain. Yes. You know? See, that's a food chain painting there. Yeah, so that's not just a... Yeah, some people are, it's beautiful patterns. We should say that these are birds and fish, fish birds. What do you, it's yeah, birds, flying fish. Birds that swim and uh -huh. fish that fly. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I love, the, I love that reversal of what we expect. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, there's the large whale. And so as a, a spear fisherman, you have to, I mean, I, I can see how that's, a, those 
skills are applicable to painting, also the decision, the line, the well, immediacy, yeah? I paint better when I'm in good condition. Yes. Um, and diving is a place, like I've been surfing my whole life. Mm. I can go surfing and surf well and be out of shape. Mm-hmm. You know, because maybe I've been painting so much I've gained 10 pounds or something, right? right? Yeah, sure. Diving, you can't do that. Okay. Diving, if you're out of shape, you can't go, if the ocean says, no, you're not diving down into this water. Mm. Because you're so full of fat that it's buoyant. Right. I mean, even relatively speaking, okay. that it's, you, it's a struggle to get to the, to the depths. And it, it, diving is something that requires great conditioning. And I think back, Louis, I think back to those, those days of when I could dive, mm-hmm. not like my Hawaiian friends who could dive 100 feet, 30 mm-hmm. meters or something. I, I, I could dive like 10, yeah. 15 meters. Right. Not that, yeah. but not like my Hawaiian friends. But still for me, it was great because mm-hmm. I had problems equalizing uh, oh. the pressure in the ears. Sure. But uh, uh, for me, it was, it was the best I could ever, what, would ever do in my life. Mm-hmm. The better condition you were in, the better artist you are. Mm-hmm. That's it. Being an artist is like running a marathon. You have to be, because it requires labor, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it requires spending time. Endurance, yeah. Endurance mm-hmm. in front of your work. Yeah. And not only do I paint these things, but I also deconstruct them. Oh, you mean you build, the, are you talking about construct or deconstruct? No, you? deconstruct them. Okay. And the way I do that is I'll paint a, I'll paint a picture and not be happy with it, <clears throat> and I'll sand the whole thing and then repaint it. Okay. Because it's a, it's a, it's a, again, it's a yin and yang thing. My effort, my deconstruction, my effort. Yes. It creates pushing and a pulling. Mm-hmm. I learned that from painting houses. That's one thing I had in common with William de Kooning. Mm-hmm. He used to paint houses. And it teaches you how to use materials. Yeah. It was, it was a great job for me when I was younger. Uh, I made good money doing it. Yeah. And I also, I also learned that sometimes it's not what you put on, but what you take off. Right. So we've got... In terms of the the skills or the observations that have gone into the the diving, the spear fishing, the the farming, the painting houses, the cutting hedgerows, all these physical activities, these professions that might not be as honored as they should, and they're not on the same realm as sometimes artists are. But uh, it is interesting. They are good training grounds. Aren't they, they are. Yeah. yeah. Uh, De Kooning said he learned a lot from painting houses. Yeah. I agree with him. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, when I was a young man. <clears throat> I used to be, I used to, I was, a, I was a, an assistant to a dynamite specialist. Oh, okay. I love that job. You like blowing things up? I love blowing things up. It was mm-hmm. just fabulous. It was in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. I was 18 years old. He hired me because he blew off half his leg. Mm-hmm. It's oh. not a very good advertisement. No. Yeah. Take my place. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's an opening. And I, and I learned that... TNT sweats nitroglycerin when it gets hot. Oh, okay. And I was driving around Hawaii with truckloads of dynamite in the heat. Oh, yeah. wow. So, but I, I was a young man working with grown men, and we were all working hard, and it was a lot of fun, and, and uh, you know, it was just, it was, it's just a great thing for, uh, these jobs are, are inform a person right. in a way that if I had just been an artist, I, I never would have, I never, I wouldn't be this artist. No, and unfortunately the other thing, I mean, art is a beautiful thing. Art, I think, related to play, related to a spiritual sense, all these things, but it's also what we're talking about. It's put on a, 
alleged, let's say if you're a successful artist, as you are, so it's put on this ledge, <coughs> it's put in museums, it's put in gallery spaces, and um, sometimes, I don't know, it's good for you to be in touch with this... Um, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I had no choice because I had no money. Yeah. So for me, it, was, it wasn't like an idea of, uh, of, like, I think I'll experience what it's like to be a laborer. Mm -hmm. I was a laborer. Yeah. Because I had, I, and I enjoyed every minute of it. I yes. loved it. I, uh, one time I was digging a ditch with a re friend of mine, and we had recently graduated from college, mm -hmm. right? And we, we were swinging the, the pick and the shovel, and we said uh, that we would make a heck of a testimony to the college of which we had just graduated from <laughs> digging this ditch. Yes. <laughs> but we were digging a ditch for our drawing professor. Oh, I see. So it was related to art. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I, I, do I want to climb around in people's houses on roofs and stuff now? No. Right. But I, when I was young, I, I, younger, I, 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 it was fine. And like I said, it wasn't because I was <clears throat> trying to experience different aspects of life. It was simply to make money. Yeah. And I was always, I always had time to do my art. I, I, had, I had no problem doing it all. Mm. Working hard all day and then coming in the studio and working hard all night. I had the energy to do it. It was your training, in, in effect, also. It yeah. was like boot camp. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And, and like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't anything more than just, if I want to be an artist, I have to make money to pay the rent. And I, wa I don't want to make a little bit of money. I want to make a lot of money. And the best way to make a lot of money for a guy like me was in, in working in construction. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had my own company for a while. Right. And we painted houses and built studios and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I became a boss. You know what they should teach in art school? Mm -hmm. Business. They do, in a sense. I think sometimes they teach it too much, though. I don't think yeah. they teach it enough. Yeah. Because a lot of artists get out, and they, like you said, they got their beret on, <laughs> and they got their little pinky in the air, and they don't know what yeah. to do. Well, I mean, the, I think a lot of theory is taught now. I mean, that's my well, understanding. And less should, of the physical, but the business is important. Yeah. The business is important. Um, my son, we, when he went to college, he didn't know how to write a check. That's mm -hmm. my fault. Mm -hmm. I should have taught him. He, it was, it was, yeah. So also an artist. Both my sons are filmmakers. Okay. And they're doing great. Wonderful. Yeah, they're both really fine young men. Yeah. Very proud of them. Never been. I, I would tell them when they were younger. I can afford to take you to Bali, mm -hmm. but I can't afford to take you to Bali and pay for a lawyer because you got caught smoking pot uh -huh. in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. They never caused us any problems. They just were, they've been good kids all the way. We just came back from Los Angeles. Right. I was in Los Angeles last week visiting our son. And he's, he uh, just shot, he was just the uh, producer for his uh, commercial. The first mm -hmm. time he was in the executive right. aspect of doing that. Yeah. And our younger son, uh, Christian, uh, that's Sam. Our younger son, Christian, goes to the School of Visual Arts. Oh, okay. and, and he's yeah, a filmmaker so. too. And he's won a bunch of awards. Wonderful. They're great kids. Yeah, my and wife and I are very fortunate. Right, and besides this lesson about money or whatever, what did you, what would you think, what did you think was important to teach them about what the life of an artist entails? Well, I've always said the best part about being an artist is I was home to raise my kids with my mm -hmm. wife. They, they know, and they've always, they've enjoyed all my friends because everybody's very funny and yeah. you know they're eccentric and stuff. But I, 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 I've taught my kids through anecdotal stories. Mm. My older son wrote a screenplay about nine months that I lived in East L.A., mm -hmm. which is called Tahuya, and hopefully be made into a movie someday. Mm 
But it's a very funny story of, of my, it's a true story, of my nine months back in 1970 when I lived in uh, Compton. You know mm. Compton is? Have you heard of Compton? Yeah, it's a rough, yeah, very rough place. Yeah. And uh, so I go from Hawaii where everybody thinks Hawaii is like really peaceful. Hawaii is mm-hmm. dangerous. Mm-hmm. Hawaii is full of people who want to beat me up mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was a white kid. Right. And the Hawaiians were saying, you stole our kingdom because mm-hmm. America did steal it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't steal it. Yeah, right? but you were a symbol for that. But I was a yeah. symbol for it. So I, I, I never got beat up and I got along with everybody just what fine. What was your magic? What did you, how did you protect yourself from not? Uh, my jene se quoi. <laughs> my my personality was right. I never and when the parties would get going, uh-huh. I'd leave. Right. The drinking, the drink. Back in those days, people were taking drugs, drinking, and smoking a lot of strong pot. Yeah. And when I would never stay, I to this day, mm-hmm. I, I'm in bed at ten o'clock. Right. You're talking to a guy who's diurnal. Mm-hmm. When the sun comes up, I get up, and the sun goes down, I go to bed. Right. I'm just, I've been that way my whole life. So I avoided all the troubles by that, by yeah. simply doing that. Well, art, of course, is a, its own high, and it's more fulfilling in a spiritual or... Um, I didn't need to go emotional. party with anybody. Yeah. I was, I was also an athlete. I was mm-hmm. surfing. Right. So I didn't have... By the t- 10 o'clock, I'm tired. You know, I, I love physical exercise. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, uh, so then I, I, go, I go from Hawaii for a short period of time visiting my brother in Compton, where... There you have this whole Chicano gang, gang thing, mm-hmm. and, that, and, and that was, but I got along with everybody. By drawing them? Do you sometimes? draw gang members? No, <laughs> no, but uh, sometimes. They don't want to be drawn. I was, even then, I was, I was recognized as the kid who could draw. Yeah. But also, I just knew how to navigate those waters. Mm-hmm. I knew how to, the main thing is, during the daytime, people are busy working stuff. It's at night when troubles begin. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, there's an old saying, nothing good happens after midnight. So yeah. I'm, I'm just interesting as you mentioned night because I'm looking around at your paintings at the time of day that I mean there's a nocturnal element to many of them too. Well, there's an actual nighttime painting yeah. in the in the corner where there were stars. Oh yes, I see. It. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I, I you know I'll paint dusk and dawn. I paint you know I paint. It's about on, dreaming. A lot of this is about dreaming. Yeah. Yeah, I dreamed I died the other night. Oh. Is that strange? I never talk about my dreams because if you want to bore somebody. Tell them about your dreams. I don't mind. I like hearing about it. If they're, if you're being open, some people think they're being analyzed. I, I dreamed I, I was in a car accident and I died. Wow. But they say, and the weird thing that they say that, I've dreamt about death, so they say that that can be positive. It symbolizes rebirth. I mean, who knows? It's individual. I like your take on it. I'll take that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't get any sense of that from you. You seem like so full of life. Thank you. But well, I woke up and I said, wow. That was different. I, you know, I, every once in a while I have a flying dream. That's yes. nice. Yes. Oh, they're lovely. And sometimes I have a flying dream where I'm sitting. <laughs> in a, so you're flying in a chair? No, just in a sitting position. Ah. Isn't that weird? I'm not flying like Superman. Uh-huh. I'm flying like I'm at a desk. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe it's like without the plane, like in an invisible yeah. plane. Yeah. Oh. oh, no, I love the flying dreams, but for me, they don't, they don't come often enough. No, they don't. Yeah. There's this lovely, this weightlessness. So... I don't know. I mean, we've talked about many things, and I could ask you many more questions, but I don't want to exhaust you with my endless questions. One thing that I, I thought of when you were talking about coming into communities and drawing them when maybe you didn't yet share much of a common language, much of a common culture, and it made me think about you know, this intuition of 
of artists or how you see, you know, art is a, a physical thing and how it, it's like almost a psychic thing sometimes, like a, that connection. Oh, the woman we bought this house from. Yeah. She said, I'll accept your offer, mm -hmm. but I want two of your paintings. I right. said, of course. And she goes, one of them, I'd like you to do a portrait of me. Yeah. I did the portrait of her. A year later, she brought it back and she said, I've been looking at this painting for a year and Patton, I don't know how you did it, but you painted my old nose. And I, mm. she, her, she was Italian. Flor she was from Florence. Her name uh -huh. was Gilde Saravalli. What a beautiful name. Uh -huh. And sure enough, I had painted her patrician nose. Right. And, and, she, and she was embarrassed to tell me that she had had a nose job. Oh. And so she goes, it's amazing. You painted my old nose perfectly. Uh. And so she goes, can you fix the nose? So <laughs> she's had two nose jobs. <laughs> That's funny. And just thinking of uh, hmm, Da Vinci now. It's, you know, Florence, famous Florentines. Yeah. Because it's 500th uh, anniversary of his passing this year. So I, I just did an interview with the Louvre's artist uh, specialist in Da Vinci. Uh, huh. And I'm thinking about, they want to do, n not nose jobs, but they want to do restoration. It's kind of a little bit of a... Huh. You should send me images of your work. Yes, I can. Yes, you have oh, my email. Send them to me. Yeah. Thank you, sir. You're very yeah. kind. I don't mean to talk about it. I was just thinking about Florentine ladies. Is there anything else you'd like to add to the conversation? I think we covered it. I, I think we covered it. It's, yeah. been, it's been very interesting. Uh, Pat and Miller, thank you for inviting me into your beautiful studio. Uh, you grace my beautiful this, studio. <laughs> and sharing this, this lovely Southampton afternoon and just uh, taking in your, your different paintings which touch upon the joy of life and, and its difficulties and its, its emotions. Thank you for adding your voice to the creative process. Thank you, Mia. I look forward to seeing where this goes. The Creative Process Podcast is supported by the Jan Miklowski Foundation. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associated Interviews producer on this podcast was Willian King. Wintertime was composed by Nicholas Anadolis and performed by the Athenian Trio. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you'd like to get involved with our creative community, exhibitions, podcasts, or submit your creative works for review. Just drop us a line at team at creativeprocess.info. Thanks for listening.